0: You know my guest today from playing Stephen Jameson on The Tomorrow People and Ronnie Raymond slash Firestorm on The Flash or on The X-Men as FBI Agent Miller. Today, Robbie Amell is here to talk about his latest film, the sci-fi thriller Code 8. Nice to see you. Good
1: to see you too on The X-Files, not X-Men.
0: Oh, I meant to say X-Files. It is, of course, it says X-Files here. I just, uh, you know, you should be in an X-Men movie. I, I would love to. <laughs> Got the whole superpower thing unlocked. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so congratulations on this. This is Thank a you. project that you've been working on uh, for quite a while. And so mm-hmm. it started with a short film. And what was it about the short film that grabbed your attention? Well... It was my short film. (laughs) So
1: uh, uh, Jeff um, Chan, who directed it, uh, Chris Paré, who wrote it, and Stephen, my cousin, we all wanted to work together, and um, we just thought, let's make something. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we planned the short film. Um, It got pushed, which uh, kept Stephen out of it. Uh, He was shooting Arrow at the time. So we thought, who else can we get? And uh, Jeff and I are huge fans of Fast and Furious, so uh, we, we got in touch with Sung Kang's representatives, and um, uh, Jeff went for dinner with him. I met them for a beer, and the next day he said yes. So uh, we shot for two, over two weekends in, in L.A. about four years ago, five years ago. And uh, I still remember rehearsing on my front lawn.
0: Um, <laughs> what, and, how do the neighbors feel about that?
1: Uh, well, we had uh, guys in green suits and uh, <laughs> and police, like, full, full SWAT gear. Uh, we got kicked out of Pasadena for using fake weapons. Um, so you're just doing this guerrilla. You're not getting... We had a cop. Yeah. It turns out you need two cops in Pasadena. <laughs> and I was like... Whoa. Why wouldn't the one cop have told us this? <laughs> um, luckily, we got most of our day that yeah. day, but uh, it was, you know, it was it was a little guerrilla style filmmaking, and uh, it cost a lot more than we thought it would. We self financed a short film for seventy or seventy five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and um, and we just hoped we had something cool. You know, we figured we when we talked about it, we thought if we weren't willing to bet on ourselves, then why would we expect anyone else to? So um, we wanted to prove that we could make something cool. We wanted to prove that it would look good, um, and uh, then we wanted to take it to IndieGoGo. And uh, luckily, we we kind of caught fire. We front paged on Reddit, which was a big deal, and uh, we raised uh, we hit our goal of two hundred thousand dollars
0: in the first twenty four or first forty eight hours. And we'll get to that in a sec here. So let's talk. let, let, let <laughs> uh, talk about this sort of step by step because it's sure. a great story. Thanks. And I, and I love the idea that. Uh, what you just said—if you're not willing to bet on yourself, who else is going to do it? You know, so you're putting your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. And as extremely successful actors as both you and your cousin Stephen are, uh, you still probably have to generate your own material from time to time to make sure that you're doing the thing exactly the way that you want to do it. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Part of it was we needed something that would cast both of us. Right. And you know, we look similar enough that unless they're going to be related, it's tough to 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 get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't care that we looked similar. <laughs> um, and then um, Jeff Chan, who is one of my best friends, I really wanted to work with him. And w- we were supposed to work together. And um, tomorrow people, I was shooting at the time that the date conflicts got in the way. And um, we just we just figured, let's do it ourselves. Yeah. Let's let's find a way to make this work. You know, we know that it'll be in Steven's off season, And uh, we just planned for a summer shoot.
0: And let's talk about coming up with the story then, because mm-hmm. the idea behind it is that it's set in a world where about 4% of the population has some kind of superpower. They can create electricity, they mm-hmm. can do lots of, of different things, but instead of being exalted and treated like the exotic beings that they are, uh, they're forced underground, they live in poverty, uh, and then ultimately, though, from my point of view. I don't really see this as a science fiction movie. It is speculative fiction because it's set like a little bit in the future mm-hmm. and people have powers and that kind of thing, but it's a human story, man. Like most good genre filmmaking, whether it's a sports movie or a sci-fi movie or whatever it is, uh, sports movies are never about the big game at the end yeah. of the of the movie. They're never about that. It's cool to see the mm-hmm. team win or lose, but it's about the spirit that gets the team there. Science fiction is never about laser guns or or whatever. If it is,
1: you're in trouble. It is.
0: It, it, absolutely. And a lot of people make this mistake. What it is are about these universal truths. And in this movie, you talk about uh, – in in the short as well as the as the the feature code 8 uh, you talk about how people who are quote different are vilified often or mm-hmm. pushed to the outside uh there's comments on healthcare there's there's yeah. there are very real world issues all tangled up in this kind of extraordinary story and that's i think what makes the movie interesting is that no matter what window, what lens you look at it through, you're seeing something that you can relate to because there are more people outside the circle than there are on the inside. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, that was really long. No, I'm but sorry. you're, that's,
1: I, I appreciate that. When we start, when we talked about what we wanted to do, we knew we wanted to make something that we were fans of yeah. and something that was in our wheelhouse and something that we thought we could sell. Because above everything else, we need to entertain people. Mm -hmm. If we're going to ask you for money and we make a relationship drama and you fall asleep, (laughs) we're not going to feel very good and neither are you. So um, we looked at it and we thought, okay, you know, we know we can do the action. We know we can do the sci-fi. We know we've got great people to do the visual effects. You know, where do we go from here? And we wanted a relatable story. We wanted something that people could connect with. And at its core, our movie is about how far someone will go to save a loved one. And everyone can relate to that. Um, With that being said, we also wanted to ask questions or pose questions. One of the really cool things about the short film was the YouTube comments. People Mm. argued about whether they thought my character was at fault or not. And we wanted that in the film. Um, We never wanted to feel like we were preaching, but, you know, we wanted to mirror... Some things in the world today, in our own way, you know, the sci-fi part of it is kind of like an entertaining gift wrap around a, a crime drama. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the 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 idea that these people are marginalized and these people are um, just
0: trying to get by was our our twist on the superhero genre. When you're you're making a film like this, you're coming up with this story. I would imagine that the story feels more timely now than maybe it did four or five years ago when you were first starting to create what would become the feature film, Codate. Yeah. Things um, have changed a little bit.
1: Yeah, not in a great way. Yeah. <laughs> um, for sure. I, I think, you know, no matter what, the we've always lived in, in a world where people are afraid of things that they don't understand. And we wanted to look at this in a way where we kept asking ourselves if this really happened, what mm-hmm. would, you know, what would people do? And in this case, the many outnumber the few. So, you know, even though 4% of these people have abilities, you know, it's a class system, class one to class five. And class ones and class twos, they are, it's not much of a superpower. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, very small. Class five, class four, class five, you can be pretty dangerous. So, you know, we figured they're probably going to like the 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 police force would be militarized and then we started looking at drones and Boston Dynamics and these these robots and we wanted things that didn't feel like they were that far off right you know you watch some of these videos and you think oh we are screwed <laughs> with <laughs> we're we're in trouble um so uh, uh, you know at the end of the day we just wanted it to feel real and we wanted to be able to pull the audience in and let the sci-fi elements fade into the background
0: well it's funny because when I look at a film like this I often think and I, I don't know exactly the minute at which this film is set but I always say it's like five minutes from now yeah you know it's, it's not that far so what you have in the movie though is a really I think realistic mix of of, of what the world looks like. If we just walk outside this building today, we're going to see things. He's shot in Toronto. We're yeah. going to we're going to see things that echo what what are in the film. Uh, but then we're going to see things that, honestly, in a year or two, we might be seeing. Absolutely. And that's what makes it a bit more chilling, right?
1: We went to um, the CES, the Consumer Electronics, or whatever, right. the Show. one in yeah, Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And um, they had a
1: drone that, Looks a lot like the drones from our movies that could transport people. It was a human, wow. and uh, w- this was a couple years ago, and we were we didn't we didn't know. And we turned the corner, and we're like, oh man, they have our code eight drone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, the other day I was sh- having a look around, doing some Christmas shopping, early Christmas shopping, and I saw a box uh, that had uh, a Star Trek communicator in it. And it just caught my eye. I, You know, I, I loved that show when I was sure. growing up. And I would have I, – and I remember thinking, man, when I was 10, I would have killed to have this thing. And now I have it, though, <laughs> in my hand. Every day I've got a cell phone in my hand. so, you know, the the idea that, uh, you know, all this stuff is, is like some tech that we'll never, ever be able to lay our hands on, uh, with the way that the world is changing and how quickly it's changing, it could be tomorrow or next year or the year after. The technological revolution just – just goes and goes and yeah. goes. It's unbelievable. It's exciting, but it's also a little scary. I've been reading about you, and you were a kid who was all into sports. You you love sports, and yet at age six, uh, you're modeling and uh, you know taking some small acting roles. How did that happen? Well, I, I feel like the internet takes it a little out of. <laughs> Um, context.
1: So I. <laughs> you weren't the striding, You is right. weren't
0: striding down a, r- a runway in Milan. No, I did like print work
1: for like yeah. Zellers catalogs. <laughs> Zellers isn't even a thing anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. Sears, and um, it was funny. It, it never occurred to me that it was weird at the time because my mom and dad would just call them like my jobs. You got right. a job today.
0: Like your chores. Yeah. yeah, and
1: so I would like occasionally get pulled out of school. And I would just, you know, someone would come to pick me up and I'd walk to the front of the class and I'd say to my teacher, I have to go. I have a job. <laughs> and like that, like third grade, just my teachers must have been like, what is this kid doing? Um, but I, I, did, I did print work and a couple commercials when I was young. And then there was a gap where I was playing very competitive hockey and didn't see an audition for a long time. And, and,
0: and, and did you like it or was it just something that you did?
1: Um I was very I was comfortable in front of a camera, right. and um, it it was putting money aside for um, I think dental work like retainer <laughs> future future teeth being knocked yep. out yep. playing hockey. Um, <laughs> but uh, I it was I, I it was never like my parents threw me into it. It was just um, I did like um, uh, extra work with my whole family right occasionally, and it just kind of went from there. Um, but I, I hadn't had an audition in years, and my modeling agent phoned me summer before 11th grade and said, uh, You have an audition tomorrow for Cheaper by the Dozen 2. Uh, I'm sending you the sides. I said, What are sides? And uh, I learned them with my mom. I still remember learning with my mom because my mom is the worst actress <laughs> in the world. And um, I went in and I thought it went fine, and my dad or my agent called me the next day. And they said, um, "We just got off the phone with your dad. Did he tell you the good news?" And I was like, "No, did I get a call back?" And they said, "No, you booked it. You're shooting for for two months." And it it changed my life. I quit hockey. Um, You're and, playing
0: Carmen Electra's son. Yep,
1: I know. That was crazy. <laughs> like my my like the sex symbol that I like yeah, looked yeah. up to for years. Um, and um, it was just amazing. I got to watch Eugene Levy. And, uh, Bonnie Hunt and, uh, Steve Martin, I, these legends yeah. just
0: be so funny. And I was like, this is, I want to do this. Well, and you started off with no lines, I understand. And then you kind of like improved one and they were like, Oh, that's good. That's they, good.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if I improvised yeah. it, but they were like, they would give us a, the occasional line. Right. And, um, the interesting thing for me was I was the tallest kid. So I was always standing beside Eugene Levy. Uh. And
0: uh, so you're always in the shot. His
1: favorite, I was always in the shot and his favorite thing to do was to try and make me laugh while we were, while we were (laughs) rolling. Um, and I, I had such a great time with him. I learned so much. And then my second movie ever was a few years later, um, back in Toronto, um, and Eugene Levy was in it and I thought, oh man, everyone here knows that I did a movie with him and he's not going to remember who I am. And uh, he comes on set, and he looks around, and he goes, where's my son? (laughs) And from that moment... He's the nicest man. He's the man. He is the absolute man, and I'm so glad that Schitt's Creek is so popular, because he deserves it. He's the best.
0: That movie convinced you to quit hockey. Was that a big deal? It was, not
1: it wasn't. I... I was playing competitive hockey. I played double A hockey my whole life. When I was thinking about going up to triple A, we were we were uh, an amazing double A team and we all stayed together instead of trying to move on and we came second in Ontario. Uh, we won a big huge tournament in the United States called the Silver St- or we came second in the Silver Stick. We lost one nothing in overtime. What wow, a nightmare. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Um but I I for some reason never really looked at hockey as a career. Huh. Um, I thought maybe play in college, get an education, get into sports medicine. I liked kinesiology. Um, but I, I, to be honest with you, I, I was one of those kids that didn't really look to the future of, I know what I want to do. Yeah. And then I booked this movie and that was it. I was like, I can do this. I, I enjoy it. I think I, I think I can be good at it. And, um, I, I quit hockey, got into some on-camera classes, and uh, I booked Life with Derek, which was a family channel show yeah. that shot in Toronto. Uh, I did one episode, and they brought me back for the, an entire season, and I learned a ton. I had a lot of fun. I made enough money to try it. In LA and I, I moved to LA to give it a shot.
0: Yeah. I've been reading uh, interviews. Your cousin, Steven, mm-hmm. who is phenomenally successful as well, says that you beat him to LA because yeah. he's older than you, right? He
1: is. He's seven years older. Yeah. Uh, he was living in Toronto. It's funny. We got into acting separately without knowing the other one was doing it kind of on a whim. Yeah. Like mine was the Chiba Brother That Doesn't Too. He was a spin instructor <laughs> and a <laughs> show needed a spin instructor. And he did it and and started to pursue acting, and then um, he got married, and he was, like, selling insurance here, and he hated it. And uh, I was in L.A. at the time. I had only been there for about a year, and I was going to shoot a movie in Vancouver, and uh, he stayed at my place for a couple weeks, Um, and I came back to town. So there was, like, a week of overlap, and we hadn't even hung out in years, so we had a great week of just catching up, and then... um, and then he moved to LA to, to to give it
0: a shot, and the rest is history. Tell me a little bit about Connor. Uh, he was an electric. Did you get to choose your own superpower? <laughs> did you do um, that?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. The the electricity made sense because of the police force being robotic mm-hmm. and the drones. You know, right. it, we figured this was um, this was somebody who would
0: be a real asset. And and so, uh, tell me a little bit about the the character himself. What do people need to know before you don't want to give away anything? And of course, but, but tell me a little bit about what people need to know.
1: So Connor um, is uh, a class five electric, and um, uh, the the powers range from class one to class five. Class five being uh, fairly dangerous. Um, all all people of power have to be documented. Um, and uh, they have trouble finding work. You, 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 see me try and get a job at the beginning of the movie, just trying to, just trying to get by, make yeah. some money. And um, you know they're just not hiring people of power. And uh, you know, same to the, sh- similar to the short film, um, we get some day labor jobs. And uh, this is where you see some people using their power and um, making things a little easier mm-hmm. on themselves. And it gets shut down real quick by the cops, very aggressively. And we wanted to make the, we wanted to start the movie fast and, and, and bring people right into this world and, and show you what it's like, um, for these people. And, and from that point on, you're on, you're on Connor's journey. Um, Connor's just trying to pay for his mom's medical bills. He's just trying to help her out. He's just trying to get her better. He lost his father when he was young. She's everything to him, um, uh, we th- we've, we thought that that was, you know, as relatable a story as you could get is someone trying to help their mom.
0: Yeah, that's the humanity, right? Mm-hmm. That's the humanity that, that cuts through the science fiction and the superpowers and all that kind of stuff. And that's what makes you care about these characters. And I would imagine that because you and Steven have both played characters with extraordinary powers in the past in, in other projects that you perhaps had – more insight into what fans would want or more insight into how to create these characters? Well, with superpowers,
1: you just can't be self-conscious about the way it's going to look.
0: Is that right? Yeah. So tell me about that because when now this is whenever I watch the X-Men movies and I see Michael Fassbender moving like yeah. big he'll move a car or something and I was think, man, I'd love to be on set that day when he does that because it has to feel awkward. It's very silly. You can't
1: <laughs> you cannot have you cannot be self-conscious about yeah. it. You just have to know that the people around you and the people doing the visual effects and just all of the people who are working on the project are going to take care of you. Right. And luckily for us, we were making the project with friends and our friends are very talented. So I never had any reservations about, you know, doing any of the the fake power work. That's right. Um, but it's weird. I mean, you you know,
0: you have to you have to get past it very quickly. <laughs> now, you worked on this with your cousin Stephen and Mel for a very long time, for about four years. Uh, what keeps you going at something like this? You know, a lot of people have a lot of projects going all at the same time, but you're not really working on them. If something gets catches a little bit of fire, you put some attention to it, you know, it goes back and forth like that. What was it about this uh, or the sort of the reasoning behind it that made you want to really jump in here? I mean, part of it was, from the
1: beginning, it was, this will be cool, let's try something, we get to work together. Yeah. Then the Indiegogo campaign happened, and not only is it for us, it's for the thousands of people that invested in us. Um, After that, you know, four years, as long as it feels, it's
0: light speed to get a movie made. Right. Because you often hear people like Martin Scorsese tried to get The Irishman made for 25 years or something, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's
1: really hard. You know, uh, uh, there are hoops to jump through. Uh, We were very lucky in that. With the Indiegogo money uh, mixed with um, telefilm, Mm -hmm. getting to work in Canada, uh, tax credits, you know, we kind of had the perfect storm of things going the right way uh, to make this movie. And four years, although sounds like a long time, it really isn't. Um, you know, we shot the movie two summers ago. We had reshoots this past summer. Part of that is Steven's schedule on Arrow. Yep. We could only shoot with him during uh, June and July, so our hands were tied there. But editing the movie takes a long time. Visual effects to the scale There's of
0: which they are hundreds of visual effects in this movie. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah. and they had to be great. You know, the second anything looks cheap, it's going to take you out of the movie. And you know, we're not we're not Marvel. We're not Disney. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of visual yeah. effects artists. We have a small visual effects house working their ass off. So we had to give them time. Um, and then and then after that, the process of releasing the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew that we needed to fulfill these premieres around the world. We went to... That uh, you
0: had promised yes. on Indiegogo. Yes. Yeah. So
1: we went uh, uh, Vancouver, Toronto, Los Angeles, Chicago, um, New York, we were doing Dallas and Miami in January because we had to push them. Uh, we went to London, uh, wow. Sydney, <laughs> Perth. It was amazing. We had a full global premiere tour. And getting to share the movie with the people that helped make it happen
0: was awesome. Do people respond differently in Australia than in New York? Or are fans of, of speculative fiction the same everywhere?
1: You know, it's kind of a universal language, to be honest. It, it was great. Um The other thing was these people were paying a lot of money to be there, those people wanted to be there, um, and they were excited to share in the experience. It was the most positive way you
0: could see a movie. And there were other perks. I mean, you didn't mm-hmm. just, you could be in the movie, right? If you yeah, we donated had, a certain level, you could be in there.
1: We had 300 people, some from Toronto, but a lot from around the world, fly to Toronto, <laughs> put themselves up and be extras in the movie. Wow, wow, wow. And our our first AD said, you know, he's never worked with such enthusiastic extras in his life. <laughs> um, that was an unbelievable day. We were shooting, uh, We were shooting a scene where they're picketing and... To have shot that scene with real extras and having to pay them, mm-hmm. it would have cost a fortune. instead, they paid us to come and made the movie bigger, so yeah.
0: and put themselves up. yeah, and- it was
1: <laughs> it was so special. Yeah. It, you know this whole this whole process has been so I've just been in such awe of the support from these from all of the mm-hmm. the backers from the IndieGoGo campaign. And it's not like they just, you know, bought something and forgot forgot about it. They're, they've made Facebook groups. They're in contact with each other. People that came out for the extra day, like, hung out. And, you know, we went to a bar uh, after the big day and, and, and just kind of celebrated with oh, that's everybody. Cool.
0: It's been really special. Well, that's the thing that I love about crowdsourcing is mm-hmm. that whatever your project is, whether it's a movie or you're making a new kind of jeans or whatever it is, you're building an audience for that while you're getting the capital together to create the thing that you're going to create. So, you know, you've got all these people who are willing to fly from Australia, from New York, wherever it might be uh, to take part in this and pay you to do it. Yeah. It's amazing. It's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um I'm in conversation with Robbie Amell. We're talking about his new film. It's called Code 8. Uh why did you choose Indiegogo? Was there I mean there's a number of different platforms. Was there a reason or
1: uh there was and I don't remember to yeah. be honest with you. Um uh it was Indiegogo or Kickstarter. I think Indiegogo had a 1% less
0: um Rake, yeah, and when you're and the, when you're making that kind of money, one you know? percent, yeah, one percent is the difference between blowing up a police car or, yeah. or whatever in the film. And exactly. not. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and Indiegogo was great. Um, I mean, more than anything, it's just it's the platform yeah. to to make people feel safe to use a credit card right. or PayPal, whatever it is. You need, you know, it's you just you need the platform.
0: We'll talk about Code 8 some more in a second, but uh, American Psycho came up in my research about you because you'd mentioned earlier in this interview that your family did some extra work and your dad's actually in American Psycho.
1: I was watching American Psycho for like the fifth time or something. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, And I was on the phone with my dad and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I was just watching American Psycho. It's like, oh, my movie,
0: <laughs>
1: and I, I just like shrugged it off, like it was a weird thing for my dad to say. And then uh, we were talking about something else, and he goes, "Yeah, me and me and Christian," and I'm like, <laughs> "I'm like, what are you talking about?" And he's like, "I'm in that movie." Me
0: and Christian Bale.
1: <laughs> and I was like, "I've seen this movie so many times. You're not in this movie." And sure enough, he goes, "Go to the part where they're in the lobby." Uh, or or in the, the, the bar, which ends up being at the, oh man. Oh, I'm blanking on the name of the bar. It's a, the, it's on King street. Um, it's a hotel. Anyway, it's a hotel lobby bar. The King Eddie? Uh, no. No? Mm. Well, we'll get it. We'll we'll Well, I'll figure figure it out. I'll text my dad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, and, uh, sure enough. My dad is the bartender making crosses in the background. And if you're not looking for him, you won't see him. But if you're looking for him, it's clear as day. That's hilarious. And I said to him, my, my reaction was, I'm really glad you told me. Because if 20 years or 30 years or 40 years from now, I was watching this and you were dead. <laughs> so you dark, were crossing man. in the
0: background. I would be so freaked out. It's a message from beyond the grave. <laughs> That's dark. <laughs> my my wife's grandfather would often say, well, when I was on SCTV, and he did a lot of extra work, and he's all over SCTV. No yeah, he's, he's bartenders, he's in the background, he's all over it. It's hilarious to me. So good. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, it's in your blood. Performing yeah. is in your blood. Somehow. I know. My dad
1: still worked with the biggest star of all of us, though, Christian Bale.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> funny, right? I love me and Christian. So what did you learn as a producer? Uh, on this film oh man uh,
1: so much so 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 much F- just like watching and creating a movie from the ground floor is it's unbelievable how much goes into it yeah. how many people work on it um you know it, and our movie is not huge it's a it's a big movie but i mean I couldn't even imagine what goes into making one of those Marvel movies. Well,
0: Gareth Edward, when he directed uh, the first sort of, well, whatever mm-hmm. it is now, the first or second reboot of the Godzilla movies, yeah. he told me that being at the helm of a movie that big was like watching all your best friends blindfolded running around in traffic. That's what he said it was like. He said it was nerve wracking every single day. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're just putting, you know, I watched Jeff, who is an amazing director. You prep as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And then once you start filming, it's just put out the fires as they start. Yeah. Because there's always going to be things. There's so many different departments. There are so many things that can go wrong. You just prepare as best you can. And then. That's it. Like, you know, Jeff Jeff was really interesting when I was talking to him about it. He said, you know, most of my job as a director is done before the movie starts. Mm. He's like, I have to hire the right people, we have to prep everything. He's like, once it gets going, I just, you know, I shift things 10, 15%. Right. He's like, it's already in motion at that point, you know. The train has left the station. Um the other interesting thing as a producer is seeing the casting process mm-hmm. from the other side. Casting is like 90% of it, right? Casting is so important. The other thing is we we read people who did unbelievable jobs but just weren't innately the character. Right. And it's because we had something in our head before they walked in the room and they weren't that. With that being said, we – had our mind changed completely on a character that came in right um, Kyla uh, who uh, uh, who has not done anything before this was her first real movie came in and she just brought such such an innocence to the character that it was something we had completely missed yeah. in the the thought um, about who that who we th- The character who we thought was – who we thought the character was going to be. Yeah, yeah. And she nailed it. She was – it was perfect and all of us saw it but
0: hadn't seen it before. And she's great in the movie. Do you think that you learned something as an actor then because we're mostly familiar seeing you in front of a camera – uh, about rejection, because you must. I mean, Huge. you must audition for things that you don't get. It happens to everybody. And, you know, I don't know what you do. Do you spend the day going, why didn't I get it? Maybe now you have a, a different window into that.
1: I absolutely did. You know, you hear about it for you know, when when somebody says, you didn't get the job, why didn't I get it? Well, you just weren't the guy. Yeah. That sounds so stupid until you experience it on the other side of the camera and you go, oh, that re- that is a reason. Mm-hmm. That's just... You know, you did a great job, but they were looking for something different. And it it's made me take the rejection of not getting a job so much less personally and just move on from it. Um, with that being said, anybody that we had come in and was, you know, did a read that was not what we were looking for, mm-hmm. we always... Steered them towards that. Right. We never just said, "Okay, thank you, next." No, he wasn't what we were looking for because maybe he was or maybe she was. You but they just, just had to just need take a little direction. It. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, auditioning is the worst process in the world. It's horrific. It's horrific. So if you've never done it, you're standing often in a room with people that you don't know, you've never seen before. Sometimes there's a camera. Sometimes there yeah. isn't. You have to slate reading
1: opposite somebody who has. You know, sometimes it's great, but sometimes, (laughs) most of the time, is just saying the words. You know, it's tough to really get an interaction with that person and play off of them. Um, It's it's a horrible way to decide who the best person for the job is. Do you get nervous before auditions? I get nervous before auditions that I want. Right. Um, And that's because... The fear of not getting it is nerve wracking. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's the it's not even nerves, it's butterflies of, you know, this would be great and this would be exciting and I want this for my career. Yeah. And it's funny, some of those things turn out, you know, you you see them or you hear about them and you go, Oh, maybe I didn't want that.
0: Yeah, yeah. You never know. You never thing. know. Listen, if if anyone could ever figure out exactly what people want to see, it would be a whole different Pixar. world. Pixar, Pixar, well, Pixar it is out. pretty close. Marvel is pretty close. <laughs> yeah, but that won't last forever. No, you know that's the thing. Things will change, and and you know nobody really knows what's going to be successful. Yeah. Have you ever walked in in my last audition? I'm just fascinated by the idea of auditioning. Have you ever walked in for a very specific part and you thought, okay, I'm going to dress the part and do it. And you walk into a room and everyone looks like you and they are all dressed the same.
1: Same, yeah, clothing for (laughs) sure. I've had that. I've also had a couple. I mean, years ago during pilot season, sometimes you get multiple auditions a day. Right. And I, I have trouble with auditions if I'm not fully prepared. I don't like the feeling I just I I like to be fully prepared and I had just finished shooting a couple episodes of How I Met Your Mother and it was for the producers of How I Met Your Mother for a different show they were doing and it was my seventh or eighth audition of the week it was a Friday I just I hadn't had the time to look at it I wasn't right for the role and I went in and it was a horrific audition I just it was a comedy and I couldn't have been less funny. And um, I, I just looked at them and I said, "Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so nice to see you. You're gonna find somebody great for this. <laughs> it's a great show. I'm not the guy. <laughs> Thank you." And just walked out. Yep. I was just like, "I can't, I'm, I
0: can't humiliate myself in yep. front of these guys for another five minutes." Danny DeVito told me once that when he auditioned for Taxi. Uh, the the rundown, you know, the breakdown of the character was completely different than him, right? So he, he, he goes into the audition room, And he picks up the script, and he just looks at it for a little while. And they're all like, you can start any time. You can start any time. And he just keeps looking at it. Then he throws the script in and says, who writes this garbage anyway? And stormed out of the room. And they're like, that's our guy right there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'll try that one next time.
0: (laughs) So Code 8 uh, is on streaming services right now. People can uh, check it out uh, on Bell On Demand, on Rogers On Demand, wherever you, you find your films. What would you hope that people take away from this movie? Is it just you know a fun? ride or do you want there to be a message here too um
1: i think it depends who's watching it um to be honest with you i think i think if you just want to watch something that you care about the people with some entertainment you can get that out of it with that being said you know we wanted to we wanted to make people think and we wanted to put people in a position where they don't necessarily agree with the decisions that are being made on camera And uh, I think I think we did that. I think we created a world that feels close enough to reality, um, but still has a very entertaining backdrop. Um, So I I think we'll get people talking and I would love that. I love when people don't agree about Mm -hmm. the decisions being made. I think it's I think it's I think that's life.
0: And it also means they're paying attention. Yeah. And that's what you want. Robbie, thanks so much. Thank you. What a pleasure to speak to you. My guest in studio has been Robbie Amell. Uh, the film is Code 8. Find it wherever you stream fine movies. Uh, my thanks to Drew Gardner on the board and to you for listening. We'll talk again next week.